1: Welcome to Andy Staples on three. What are we talking about? Same thing everybody's talking about, same thing we, we can't stop talking about. Why did Mario Cristobal not order Tyler Van Dyke to take a knee on third down against Georgia Tech? What in the world was Mario Cristobal thinking? What on earth happened there? We'll just get right to it. I called in an expert, Gary Furman from Kane Sport. He publishes Kane Sport on the On3 network. He's covered Miami forever. Like when I ask him during this interview about impactful plays, he'll bring up one many of you weren't born for. He's been covering the Canes for a long time and he's never seen anything like this. I've never seen a fan base turn on a coach this fast. And maybe it's temporary. Maybe all Miami has to do is go beat North Carolina next week and everything's sort of okay. But right now, the Miami fan base is on fire. Gary's message board is insane. It is crazy, and and I understand, because here you think your team is making all this, this progress. You've seen offensive improvement. It seems to have a different personality than it had last year. It seems to be better suited to compete in the ACC, and then this happens. First of all, you shouldn't be in that close of a game with Georgia Tech that just lost to Bowling Green. But second of all, you can't do this. You just can't. And it's it's crazy. It's been almost 24 hours. We're still scratching our heads about this entire situation. And Mario Cristobal he has said, I should have taken a knee. I should have taken a knee. But of course, we're going back and relitigating the 2018 Stanford Oregon game when he also should have taken a knee. He's just not a knee taker and you'll hear Gary talk about that, but it's probably time to become a knee taker because you can't just give away wins. You can't turn wins into losses like that. And I I just, I can't remember ever seeing anything that was that cut and dried where somebody just made an absolutely crazy decision, but there it was. So let us talk to Gary Furman, who has covered Miami for a long, long time, who can help us decipher what this means for the Canes going forward. Here's Gary. Welcome, Gary Furman of canesport.com. And Gary, your message boards, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what what do you say after something like that to, to the folks? I mean, they're in a situation where if Miami takes a knee against Georgia Tech, the the clock is already below 40 seconds. If they take any on third down, they can just run it out. Georgia Tech has no timeouts. Instead, they run a play. There's a fumble. Georgia Tech scores in two plays. How do you recover from that if you're Mario Cristobal and the Canes?
0: <laughs> well, uh knowing no, Mario, he just goes back to work. I'm sure he was at the office about 4 a.m. on the on Sunday morning. But but uh yeah, it was just a very strange sequence. You know, you have to believe that the subject of taking a knee came up somewhere on the sideline yeah. between the offensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson, the offensive staff, Mario. Uh, but I will say this, as I've watched Mario Cristobal through the years, he is not a guy that believes in taking a knee. He, be- he You could see that he believes in playing the football game till the final whistle uh, coaching his guys maximizing every rep t- taking every opportunity to get his football team better for what he might have been thinking and I'm certainly not making an excuse because it was one of the greatest you know blunders in Miami football history uh, but I'm guessing if he told Shannon Dawson to run the football it was with these next four or five weeks of the season in mind when they're going to be in some tough football games and um, they're going to have to play a uh, full four quarters. That's the only rationale that I can come up with because from a football sense, it just makes no sense, Andy. Yeah,
1: and it's happened before in his career. He had a situation at Oregon in the 2018 game against Stanford. Now, it wasn't exactly the same. There was a little bit more math to do in that one. But in this case, on that third down play, all they had to do was take a knee. I do sense, I, I think you may be right about philosophy, I do sense that last night might have provoked a change going forward. Here's Mario Cristobal immediately after the game.
0: And then uh, at the end of the game, a chance to put it away. And um, should just tell him to take a knee, take a timeout right there, recalibrate, and just take a knee. And um, so gave him a chance, and they took advantage of it and scored.
1: And that may have been what was going on over the headset. Somebody may have been saying, hey, let's just take a timeout here, figure out where we're at. Do the math on it, and when we do, we'll realize if we just take an anywhere out of here. so uh, do you do you think, Gary, that that is jarring enough to maybe change a philosophy on something
0: like that? Listen, Mario's one of the more stubborn people <laughs> that you'll ever meet in your <laughs> life, but I don't think he's this stubborn. Uh, this has been a career-changing moment for him, let's be honest. Uh, uh, fair or unfair, how, you know, however you want to classify it, he's getting undressed all over the country in every form of, of media over what happened in that game. Uh, look at the ramifications. You're talking about having his 5-7 and seven Miami team of a year ago In a position to be five and zero going into a prime time, nationally televised game at North Carolina next weekend. You know, one of the top handful of games in the college football spectrum um, next week. Uh, So uh, this was devastating. Uh, This this is not something you recover from. You know, they, they talk about a 24 hour rule. Andy, there's no 24 hour rule at Miami. They may pretend there is. They got a big game next week. This is not something you recover from in a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. This is going to linger with Mario Cristobal for a very long time. And I think you're onto something that we will probably see a philosophical change from him in the future. So the, the other part with Miami is if you look at the ACC schedules, because what that
1: was the big topic conversation after Louisville beat Notre Dame last night is, oh, look at who they have left to play in the league. It's not Duke's their toughest ACC game. They have left Florida floor. State's got to play Miami, but Miami's got to play everybody. everybody. Miami's got to play Louisville, Except North Duke. Carolina, Clemson, right? And so I think that's part of it is you can't drop a game that you have in hand in the conference when you're trying to make the conference title game. And you have the toughest schedule of everybody.
0: Hey, and you want this to be a season of progress um let's face it this could go either way now I mean yeah th- this is a football team we, we're talking about Mario the head coach I'm not so much worried about Mario the head coach in terms of bouncing back working hard getting ready for games but how about the psyche of the players uh, mm-hmm. you, you know to lose a game like that and now they got to go through this gauntlet here in the next five weeks or so uh and play some very tough football games and this is not a program that is held together very well in these situations in recent history. Now, there's been a lot of conversation, Andrew, about a change in culture, about a player-led football team. We've been hearing it almost on a daily basis down here in Miami. That is going to be put to the test here over the next month for Miami. How do they bounce back from this disappointment? If they bounce back well, then at the end of the season, this is just a, a blip on the screen. Nobody expected this team to go be in the football playoff in at the end of the year
1: well and the the fan base that's as uh, as quick a turn as I've ever seen from a fan base because last week it was all in on Mario (laughs) That'll waste time down here
0: in the 305
1: (laughs) oh you go to your message board today and it is hot board for the next coach it is Mario is Ron Zook part two it is all of that and and I understand because that's just one of the bigger gut punch losses that you'll ever see but that's the other piece of that he's got to win back the confidence
0: of the constituents but the quickest way to do that is go beat north carolina go beat north carolina go beat clemson you know get, get yourself back into the into this thing and uh show that you are having a season of progress that it looked like you were having and i think a few weeks down the road people will forget what happened at hard rock stadium last night but uh I don't think Mario Cristobal is going to forget anytime soon. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that one stung pretty bad. I you know, you could just look at him in that post game and tell that this one was hitting hard. So the the other piece
1: of that and this is the that gets lost in the decision is the defense did give up that touchdown, which is maybe as troubling as the decision. You know, for Lance Gidry, the the defensive coordinator, what do you do to shore that up
0: in this next week when you're about to go play Drake May? Well, you know, oh, they played at Temple um, and they had a play where one of their cornerbacks, the Corey catch, made an interception on a fourth down play uh, 20 yards down the football field where he should have just batted it down um and then they got a 15-yard penalty from one of their defensive players coming off the bench to celebrate on that play they lost 30 35 yards on that play and i said at the time this is a major problem like that is situational football as a defensive football player you must be on top of that situation you must know to bat the ball down and it was meaningless in that game well we saw a complete situational football collapse." down the stretch against Georgia Tech, uh, um, including by an All-American safety who let mm-hmm. the receiver get behind him for the win touchdown. And uh, so if I'm Lance Gidry and my defense played relatively well for most of that game last night, I'm spending a lot of time on situational football this week before I get on the plane to North Carolina because that has uh, shown up as one of the weaknesses of the defensive side of the ball right now at Miami. Um, guys just got to be more aware of uh, the circumstances of a game and and not give up plays like they gave up uh, at the end of the game uh last night.
1: It it also felt like a lot of the gains that they'd made on offense kind of got rolled back because Georgia Tech was a defense that had had been scored on quite a bit by Bowling Green in that yeah. upset win for Bowling Green the week earlier. And you know, we we were talking the first month of the season that Shannon Dawson has been a revelation in Miami that this particular offense fits their skill set and their their personnel very very well but it looked like it was stuck in mud for a lot of last night
0: yeah and and you know tyler van dyke's a very good quarterback but where he has shown that uh he can have problems is when defenses kind of mix coverages on him and sit back in coverage middle tennessee state did a great job of that last year in, in upsetting miami and i'm sure georgia tech obviously studied the full year of miami film Uh, last year. So uh, it looked like they had a game plan that was forcing Van Dyke to have patience, uh, throw the ball underneath, and and try to limit the shots that he could take down the field. Um, Conversely, the offensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson, was calling a lot more inside run plays than we've ever seen him run maybe in his career. I mean, this is a guy that likes to attack, run up stats, go down down the field. So you put those two together, and Miami was having a lot of empty drives and not scoring points. Van Dyke had three interceptions in the game and uh Miami just never really seemed to be in any kind of rhythm offensively and you know that left Georgia Tech in the game for well I'm not going to call it a miracle ending because it wasn't a miracle but uh for the ending that they were able to attain uh late in the fourth quarter
1: Brent Key the Georgia Tech coach that was the the crazy he said he said it was like Will Farrell in old school where he kind of blacked out for a second <laughs> uh, he's trying to be nice he's trying not to say anything about like I can't believe he didn't take a knee but Is that one of the? Because I mean, you've covered Miami football for a long time, Gary. Is that the weirdest ending you've seen at a Miami game Uh,
0: since uh, the Hill Flutie pass in 1984? It probably was. Yeah, Uh, you know a little bit. The the Duke,
1: the Duke kickoff return is that That, the
0: only? That would qualify qualify certainly. That that Duke play a few years back, Uh, but there weren't many. You know, with the ramifications that this one had. I mean, I mean, there's a big difference between being four and one going to Carolina next week and trying to regather yourself and being five and oh, and and, you know, being close, probably close to the, you know, top 10, top 12 and, and people are really starting to to make Miami relevant again, and which is what they're trying to accomplish. Um, this is a big difference. Now, now they're number 25 in the polls. Uh, they're reeling a little bit. They gotta, gotta gather themselves. And there's a big question. Over what they will look like when they show up at North Carolina next week.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the thing, is is how do they bounce back? And you mentioned this has not been a situation that that previous Miami teams have handled well. And I guess there's no real way to know because of transfer portal, because of the way that Mario's reshaped the roster.
0: You don't know how this particular group of players is going to react not at all and you know all we know is what we've been being told which is that you know very positive things as it pertains to the players and taking ownership of their of themselves and the and and the team well now they got to prove it this is their first test to show that and uh, i'm sure that's going to be the rallying cry all week um in the football headquarters uh, that that we are better than this. We are not going to let this fall apart like we did last year. And I'm sure I would like to think that they are going to be a very motivated, prepared team when they get to Chapel Hill next Saturday. And that could be a really good football game because uh, North Carolina is playing very well on offense right now. And, uh, you know, Lance Guidry is going to bring it defensively. He, you know, he, he is not going to just let them sit back there and carve them up. Uh, so, uh, It has the makings of a very entertaining primetime game on ABC next Saturday night, uh, if Miami can pull itself together. Well, and that's the thing. If they can, everything's still
1: in front of them because the loss to Georgia Tech is not going to hurt them from a head-to-head standpoint, and they play all the other good teams. So if they were to beat them, they're still okay. But that's a big if when you got to play them all in fairly rapid succession.
0: Yeah, I mean Carolina Carolina then Clemson, uh, you you're going to have to go to Florida State. You do get Louisville at home, uh which which you know hopefully will be a positive thing if 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 it breaks well. Uh but I think uh more than anything Andy, they got to take one game at a time. Uh this is not a built program yet. It's it's not a complete football team their depth uh is very tenuous uh you know if if they get injuries in the wrong places they're in big trouble uh I think they just got to take one week at a time and uh keep trying to get better and just see where it takes them um you know they can't really be worried about right now December for example and if there's less than 40 seconds left and it's not fourth down
1: and the opponent has no timeouts take a knee take a knee Mario Absolutely. The game's, the game's over. You can just go shake Brent Key's hand and you're done. Yeah, this wow. is this might be enough. Because you're right. He he is the type that is stubborn. That that probably was his philosophy. We're gonna keep on, but at this point, you you don't need to worry about philosophy.
0: Just win the game. Just win the game. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, and thank and you. So, and it's never over.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Gary, thank you so much.
0: Anytime, Andy. Thank you for having me.
1: Gary Furman, the publisher of Kane Sport, when he broke out the hail Flutie play, I was like, "Oh, wait, he was there!" Wow. So, not the wildest finish he's ever seen in Miami, but close, very close. It is. It's still amazing that that happened. Truly amazing that that happened. You know what else is amazing that it happened? I won on Prize Picks this weekend. That's right. Our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you download the app, you sign up with the referral code Andy. They will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So if you deposit 100 bucks, they'll match you 100 bucks. If you deposit 50 bucks, they'll match you 50 bucks. I had a very bad running back play where I went Jace McClellan, Cameron Scataboo, and Dejon Edwards. They all had relatively reasonable yardage totals for their games this weekend. And I had more than because, you know, I like to root for and not against people. Uh, did not do so well, but I did a quarterback play. And this is so on Friday. Prize Picks did a, a kind of a flash deal and it was Carson Beck his yardage amount went from 270 and a half to 230 and a half for a very limited time. So it was a discount on that essentially. And so I locked in at 230 and a half and then I added Brady Cook at 276 and a half because remember Brady Cook from Missouri playing against the LSU secondary you feel like he's probably going to go over that number. So what happens? I win. $25 bet, won me 75 bucks. Now I was limited to a $25 bet because I did lock in at that discounted rate on Carson Beck. Looking back, I should have just taken the full boat. I should have done the full amount, 270 and a half, because he also surpassed that. He had 284 yards passing. But that's that's the fun of prize picks is on Thursday, on Friday, those games were about to start, and you're looking through those entries, and there's so many fun ways to play and remember, it's not just college football. If you if you're watching Sunday night football tonight in the NFL, watching the Niners and the Cowboys, you could be playing it right now. And they're also this weekend doing combo college and NFL picks. So lots of squares, lots of ways to play. It's the easiest way to play Daily Fantasy. It's available in the majority of states. It's available in Florida and California and Texas. So to sign up for prize picks, you download that prize picks app, you use the referral code Andy. And they will instantly match your first deposit up to $100. It's a great, fun, fun way to add a little, little extra incentive to your football watching. And hey, feeling good. I won. Let's make it a winning streak next week with picks. So download that app. Referral code Andy. Okay, it is time for the resume ranking. That's right. Every Sunday night, we give you the resume ranking. And we do this by taking the games that have been played this year and this year only. Preseason hype doesn't matter. It's why previously you'd not seen Georgia in these rankings. If you watch the games this weekend, you know we're going to see the Bulldogs in these rankings. So, But that's why. We weren't saying you won the last two national titles. That didn't count. We needed to see it now. And so we will start from 10 and work our way up. Number 10 The only team with a loss on these rankings right now, and that's the Texas Longhorns. They still have that win over Alabama, which is huge. Alabama just below, obviously, because Texas did beat them head-to-head. Texas losing to Oklahoma, no shame in that. And Texas can come back from this. They're going to be favored in every Big 12 game they play. From here on out, there's a really good chance they're playing Oklahoma at Jerry World. Get another crack at them at a neutral site. And then we see what happens, and the winner of that game may be going to the college football playoff. Number nine, Washington. This is one of those where it's basically based on who they played because how they played, they've been very, very good. But we haven't gotten to see them against great competition yet. Uh, Arizona held them down a little bit. Now we saw Arizona play very tough against USC as well. It might just be that Arizona is better than we think. But for the moment, Washington here at nine, they play Oregon on Saturday. So whoever wins that game, moving on up. Number eight, your Oregon Ducks. Same situation as Washington. They've blown out everybody they've played, but it, it, the competition level has not been that great yet. It will get better. It will get considerably better with Washington this week. And, and bear in mind, this is a different situation than Texas and Oklahoma. Remember, Texas beat you know loses to Oklahoma. They can beat them again in the Big 12 championship game. And there's a really good chance those two teams wind up playing in the Big 12 championship game, and neither one loses a game between now and then. It is entirely possible that happens. For the loser of Oregon-Washington, it's tough sledding. Both teams have tough sledding, but at least you would have that head-to-head in hand if you're the winner, because both of these teams will still have to play USC, Utah, Washington State, and Oregon State. Don't forget that. Number seven, Louisville. You heard a very confident Jeff Braum on this show last week. And they've just been outstanding this year. They took it to Notre Dame. That was an excellent win for Louisville. They caught Notre Dame in a really good spot between two very physical games against Ohio State and Duke before they play USC. So a tough spot for Notre Dame. But Louisville didn't just win this game. They dominated this game. And, and I think it was it was a very impressive showing for Brahms' team in his first year. Remember, I said all offseason... Jeff Brom at Louisville is going to be a good marriage and they're going to be a a force in the ACC down the road. I didn't think it was going to happen this year. All the talk about Louisville was, oh, their schedule's easy. And that way they might win a few more games than you think. Now I'm looking at it going, their schedule is easier than say Miami. Do we think they could make the ACC championship game? Duke is the toughest conference opponent left on their schedule. Kentucky is probably the toughest opponent in general. Left on their schedule. So Louisville could could hang here. The problem for Louisville is they don't have the opportunities that some of these other teams on the list have to climb the list because of the competition. Next up, Penn State, number six. Nittany Lions have UMass on Saturday. It is a tune-up. They are going to Columbus on the 21st. We will have a much better idea of where Penn State sits and where Ohio State sits after that. But so far, so good for Penn State. The West Virginia win, looking better and better every time West Virginia plays. Uh, the Iowa win, it's ugly when Iowa plays, but I was five and one. And <laughs> Penn State beat them 31-0. So, many lions doing fine. They will play our number five team, Ohio State, again, on the 21st in Columbus. That will help us determine where these two belong and, and the winner of that game probably moving up. So, number 4, Florida State. Now the wins against LSU and Clemson not looking as good as they did before, but still they're very good wins. And Florida State jumped on Virginia Tech this weekend. Virginia Tech came back a little bit, but then Florida State pulled away again. Seminoles moving right along. They're headed down the road Miami, probably the ACC Championship game. So they they have got some competition to face. They can stay here if they keep winning. Real good chance they're in the college football playoff. Number three, Michigan. Now, this is a weird one because I am big on who you've played. But how you played matters too. And so Michigan went on the road again in the Big Ten. So they went on the road against Nebraska, and they went on the road against Minnesota. Both these teams have had their moments this year. Nebraska won a game on Friday night on the road in conference play. They seem to be getting better under Matt Rule. They got annihilated by Michigan. Minnesota, they've been okay this year. They looked like an FCS team against Michigan. Michigan, just boa constrictors teams. It's kind of similar to the 2021 Georgia team, except J.J. McCarthy seems to be coming into his own at quarterback and, and really looking more comfortable, and they're letting him do more. They are really, really good, and I can't wait to see them against Penn State and against Ohio State. But that really feels like their main competition that they've got to deal with this year. It doesn't feel like anybody else is going to challenge them in the regular season. So we're not going to see the the challenges until November. But if they keep beating teams like this with no drop-off, perfect consistency, I don't see how you can leave them out. And so I was leaving them out saying, well, they haven't really played anybody. I can't keep doing that because they're just crushing people. And eventually, you're going to play that way every week you're going to win almost every game. So we got Michigan here. Number two, Georgia. Probably not where you Georgia fans want them, but that's okay. They can probably work their way up to number one, and it doesn't even matter. You just need to be in the top four to make the playoff, and then you could be number one at the end. But Georgia, we needed to see it from them. We needed to see that they had that other gear. Yeah, they had that other gear. Against Kentucky, they looked like the dominant team that just won two national titles. This is a different group, but we needed to know they had that setting in their arsenal, and they do. Kentucky's the best team they played. Kentucky is a very good team. You're not going to get revisionist history from me saying, oh, Kentucky must stink. No, I don't think Kentucky stinks. I think Kentucky's better than the Auburn team that challenged Georgia quite a bit at Auburn. I just think Georgia came to play Everything came together. They started fast for the first time all season. They, they went vertical early on the offensive side of the ball because that's, that's one thing I've wondered is it seems like they really get going when they start throwing the ball down the field. But in previous games, they've been kind of slow to do that. They've, they've kind of wanted to establish the run and, and just be a little bit conservative. But they did not do anything conservative on Saturday. They came out chucking the ball And Carson Beck was unstoppable and Kentucky just could not do anything with Georgia. And that's the version of Georgia that can beat everybody in the country. Like when they play like that, there is no one that can beat them. And that's what we needed to see from them. The thing is, we've seen this other stuff from them too. So it's not the sure thing that last year felt like it was or that the year before felt like it was. But it's still, that's a pretty good thing. Knowing that, knowing they have that in their toolbox, that they can flip that switch. I think we can be very confident in Georgia going forward. Number one, Oklahoma, they now have the best win in the country. With that win against Texas, they were already undefeated. They're not going to be challenged as much in the Big 12. You look at the rest of their games, they're going to be double-digit favorites probably the rest of the way until they get to the Big 12 championship game. They will have to fight against complacency, but... That looked like a different version of Oklahoma than even what we've seen most of this year. It's sort of like Georgia finding that other gear. Oklahoma found another gear. We saw them playing better on defense than we've seen all season. We saw Dylan Gabriel doing things that we haven't seen him do all season. And I think knowing they have all that capability, you feel pretty good about what they can do. I don't know if they'll stay in this number one spot because there are some opportunities out there. Oregon-Washington, for example. Um, Penn State, Ohio State coming up where teams can can get some really good wins. But Oklahoma right now will have them number one on the resume with the best win in the country so far. Congratulations to the Sooners. You are the top dog for this week. All righty. We now need to go to the New Year's Six and College Football Playoff projections. That's right. These are the projections for what we think the playoff will look like, what we think the New Year's Six bowls will look like. This is different from the resume ranking. This does include your preseason hype, and, and you're guessing what at what's going to happen the rest of the year. So this is a different different look. The, the teams will be in different places. Like, for example, last week, the SEC team I had in the playoff was Alabama. Why? Because Georgia was coming off that game against Auburn, and I thought, well, if Alabama makes the SEC championship game and Georgia plays like that, Alabama may win the thing, maybe 12-1, and uh, twelve and, one and go to the playoff. Now, no. If, if Alabama, which increasingly looks like it will make the SEC championship game, has to play that version of Georgia that we saw against Kentucky, Alabama ain't winning. Georgia's winning that game. So, Georgia, back to number one in the Sugar Bowl. I've got them against number four Michigan. I know what you're thinking. You've got Michigan winning the Big Ten and being number four team. No, I do not. I have number two Penn State playing number three Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. I know you Pac-12 fans. Not happy about this. But at this point, I'm predicting the Pac-12 will cannibalize itself. Remember, I just said who Oregon and Washington have to play after they finish playing one another. All Both of them have to play USC. Both of them had to play Utah. Both of them had to play Washington State, and both of them had to play Oregon State. That is a meat grinder. So right now, I'm predicting that that league cannibalizes itself, which is why I have two big 10 teams in the playoff. Penn State-Oklahoma Rose Bowl sounds like it would be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I don't know if it would be as good as the Georgia-Oklahoma Rose Bowl, but you know what? I'd, I'd enjoy watching that one. Rounding out the New Year's Six... In the Orange Bowl, I have Florida State versus Alabama. This require Florida State to drop something along the way. If Florida State's undefeated, they'll make the playoff. But this, this supposes that they'd end up dropping one or two along the way, but when the ACC. Oregon versus Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Texas, this is assuming that they lose to... To Oklahoma in the rematch. They'd still wind up in a, in a very nice bowl game like this, but I don't know. I just, I think Texas has a chance to get back in this thing. And it was very interesting watching that happen the other day where people were like, oh, you guys, you overrated Texas again. They stink. They're never going to be any good. Well, no, they, they were really good and lost to a good Oklahoma team. That's all it was. And they still may be really good, and they still may beat Oklahoma when all is said and done. But for now, this would be a really fun Cotton Bowl, this Oregon-Texas one. Uh, they played in the Alamo Bowl in Mac Browns last year. But I know Oregon has its sights set on bigger things. Texas obviously has its sights set on bigger things. Let us go to the Peach Bowl, Ohio State, and Louisville. I know what you're thinking. You're Andy. You're just putting Louisville in here because they're the big winner of the week. They beat Notre Dame. They surprised everybody. But here's the thing. Again, look at Louisville's schedule the rest of the way. This is the most favorable schedule they're going to get in a while in the ACC. Their theirs for next year is not not pretty. But it's going to be hard for them unless they really just don't show up a couple times, which could happen. This is a first year coaching staff, new team. It could happen. They could get shocked by some people, but they just, they're going to be favored in a lot of these games and almost all of these games going forward. I don't know if they'll be favored against Kentucky, but I'd imagine they'll be favored in every other ACC game except maybe Duke. So there's a chance they wind up in a game like this. And Ohio State, I have in here, which this is suggesting Ohio State loses to Michigan again and that they lose to Penn State. Again, the 21st is going to tell us. A lot about what happens. So, Elias Gray, good, good point here. As I talk about this this ACC situation, have you looked in the insane ACC tiebreaker? It could end up with them contracting out to an analytics firm to pick. That's right, our friends at Sports Source Analytics. That they have that contract. If you have three undefeated teams, they're going to have to do that. <laughs> and and it is it is conceivable that Florida State and Louisville and North Carolina could all be undefeated. And then the sports source is going to have to pick which two teams play in the in the ACC Championship. It's a little bit like when you had the three-way tie at the top of the Big 12 South in 2008 and the BCS poll chose who would who would represent them and it was Oklahoma. So, it, it's entirely possible that that could happen. I think they're hoping that randomness and you play that many games, somebody's going to lose. That that it doesn't happen, and that they have. Ideally, they have two undefeated teams playing each other in the conference championship game. That would probably be the most anticipated ACC championship game ever. But we'll see what happens. The Fiesta Bowl. I got Wyoming and Washington, and right now Wyoming. I have being the highest ranked Group of Five champ. They might be in the spot one week because they are going to Air Force next week, and that is a really good game. Fresno State-Wyoming turned out to be a fun game. Wyoming took a big lead, ended up hanging on to win. But Wyoming has to go to Air Force, which is 5-0, and oh, and that is going to be another great Mountain West game. Right now, it's looking like the Mountain West champ will be the highest-ranked group of five champ. I know that Memphis and, and Tulane feel like they're going to have something to say about that by the end of the year in the American. So that is your projected college football playoff, and New Year's Six. We also need to talk about next week. Because we just came off what I think was the most fun Saturday of college football of the season so far. And I think they're going to get more fun as we go. Because as you look at the matchups, just as you get into conference play really deep in it, you're going to get some surprising results. You're going to get some teams that have been really... Beat up for you, you know, a couple of weeks in a row, like Notre Dame going to, to Louisville at not a conference game, actually. But they they are they they caught Notre Dame at a very good time, and you're going to see situations like that happen. So, a couple well, more than a couple really interesting lines to open up here. You got Oregon at Washington, Washington's a three point favorite. This is essentially this would be a pick 'em. At a neutral site. They usually give three points for being at home. So this is this is them saying, we don't really know. <laughs> we think these teams are both about the same. Washington's at home. So we're going to give them the three-point edge. The next one that that I think is very interesting. And we'll talk more about Oregon and Washington later in the show. Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck will join us to give us the Oregon side of things. We'll be talking to people from Oregon and Washington all week. This game is going to be fantastic. It was a great game last year. So just get ready for that this year. But here's another one. And I'm glad this game has some luster again. Lost a little bit when Notre Dame lost to Louisville. But USC at Notre Dame is still a huge game. Notre Dame a two and a half point favorite. Coming off the loss at Louisville. So the people making the line knew that Notre Dame had lost to Louisville and still installed them as a two and a half point favorite against USC. That is That is basically them putting their hands up and saying, we do not trust this USC defense to go on the road and win them a game. Because if you watch that USC-Arizona game, and and I know a lot of you were staying up with me watching that game, USC's defense actually got better as the game went on and then got worse again. Caleb Williams saved them, saved USC's bacon. The, The passing game was not particularly effective a lot of the night. Caleb Williams, with his legs, did a lot of the damage but a lot of that was because Arizona couldn't spy him very well. Justin Flo was the guy they, they used to spy him and he just he was getting shaken out of his shoes a lot of the time. Notre Dame more solid on defense than Arizona. They should be able to cover USC's receivers pretty well. We'll see if they can get Caleb Williams down on the ground. That that's a that's a big if. But also Notre Dame's offense will be playing a much more porous defense than they've seen against Louisville or Duke or Ohio State in the past 3 weeks. This this will be an offense or a defense that they can score on. So it's a 61 and a half total. I actually think it might go might go over that by quite a bit. But Notre Dame the favorite in that game. I find that very very interesting. Let us move to Chapel Hill. Miami. All we're going to talk about is the knee with Miami, but the thing is if Miami looks like it did in the first four games and not against Georgia Tech. They're going to be playing a very competitive game against North Carolina. North Carolina opens as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. You saw Drake may just decimate Syracuse's defense on Saturday. They looked outstanding. Tez Walker's eligible to play. Remember, they got that news on Thursday. He ended up catching six passes, but didn't do anything particularly spectacular in the game. I imagine he'll be a bigger part of the game plan this week because they'll know the whole time that he's eligible. But Miami got really conservative on defense against Georgia Tech. Now, perhaps that's because Georgia Tech made a defensive coordinator switch last week. Remember after they lost to Bowling Green, they demote Andrew Thacker. They promote Kevin Shearer to play caller. It could have had something to do with that. They've been able to study North Carolina's defense all year. This this is going to be the defense that we've seen all year from North Carolina. So it's not going to be anything surprising to them more than likely. Shannon Dawson had been calling great plays for Miami. They had looked very smooth, very coordinated. Uh, like they, they, the, the offense fit the athletes they have. Tyler Van Dyke had been protected pretty well. This could be a bounce back game in a big way for Miami. I, I know everybody's looking at it and going, well, their season's going to go in the tank. They just did something really stupid. How do you lose to Georgia Tech? That's fine, but the lights come back on and they want to prove themselves, and they're pretty good, and they have good athletes, and they have a good offensive line, this could be one of the more fun games of the weekend. West Virginia at Houston. Houston still looking for its first Big 12 win. West Virginia trying to go 5-1. and one. This was a team that everybody assumed Neil Brown was going to get fired. They lost to Penn State. The assumptions continued. But West Virginia has done nothing but get better. And Neil Brown said last week he feels like their best football is in front of them. They are a three and a half point favorite on the road. This was a team that was picked to finish last in the Big 12. Neil Brown said they're not finishing last in the Big 12. Well, they're definitely not finishing last in the Big 12 now. Now they're they're still in position to try to make the Big 12 championship game. So this will be this will be a good one on a Thursday night, seven o'clock Eastern time. This is one that we're going to have some fun watching this one because I I bet Houston, this is their best chance probably for a little while to get that first Big 12 win. Meanwhile, West Virginia wants to keep things rolling. Stanford at Colorado. The Buffaloes did not cover against Arizona State, but Coach Prime's team did win game number four. If they can get win number five, it sets them up for a tough stretch. Where they're only going to need to win one to be bowl eligible, and I'm telling you right now, based on what Dion took over, if they are bowl eligible, that is a pretty impressive feat in year one. We'll see what happens. Ten and a half is a is a bigger number, but Stanford hadn't been very good this year, so Colorado may get win number five, and then we're we're on bowl watch for the Buffaloes. Texas A&M at Tennessee. Tennessee opens as a three point favorite at home. Texas A&M. How do the Aggies bounce back? Because they had the driver's seat in the SEC West if they beat Alabama. Some puzzling choices down the stretch, punting on fourth and one in plus territory, kicking a field goal when when maybe you should go for it and and try to put the screws to Alabama a little bit. They need to show that they are better than they were last year. The only way to do that is keep winning they can't let this loss beat them twice and they will be going into an atmosphere that is really tough but texas a&m is talented enough to slow down tennessee's run game and force joe milton to beat them with his arm which that was a problem for tennessee against florida so this will be this will be one to watch this this could be a really fun one in tennessee remember they're not out of anything yet they lost to florida they still get to play georgia they still got to play alabama not out of anything yet Staying in the SEC, Florida at South Carolina. South Carolina, two and a half point favorite in this game. Billy Napier, his struggles on the road as Florida's coach are well documented. The only game he's won on the road thus far was at Texas A&M last year when a whole bunch of Texas A&M players had the flu. The Florida fan base is not going to be very pleased if they go to South Carolina and lose. In fact, the last time they went to South Carolina and lost, it was really... The decision was basically made to fire Dan Mullen after that game. It wasn't executed for two more weeks, but you knew it was over when Florida lost at South Carolina. This is not going to be that because, again, as you learned on last week's show, the buyout's so big. He's not going anywhere. As long as he doesn't do anything that lets them fire him for cause, he's fine, but he needs to win some games like this. The fact that South Carolina is is a favorite in this game given the way they played this year, That doesn't that doesn't speak well of what the line makers think of the Gators, but this is an opportunity for them. Also, an opportunity for the Gamecocks because if they can hold serve at home, it makes what has been a slightly disappointing season so far a little bit better. One more Iowa at Wisconsin. This game probably will decide the Big Ten West. I'm not going to lie. Wisconsin's a nine and a half point favorite, but having watched them all year. I don't think they're going to find it very easy to score on Iowa. Meanwhile, I don't know that Iowa is going to score at all, unless the defense scores, or Cooper DeGene returns a punt, or Cooper DeGene plays offense. The total on this is 37 and a half. <laughs> I, I find it very hard to believe that Wisconsin covers if we're under that total. So I I think I'm probably leaning toward the under again. We'll see when we get to the pick show. But this game, while it probably will hurt you to watch, it's a big one. Because again, it will help determine the Big Ten West. may, May actually determine who plays for the Big Ten title this year, which is just insane to think about. But that's the situation that they're in. Those are your juicy opening lines for this week. Team that is not playing this week, basking in the afterglow of a win in Dallas, the Oklahoma Sooners, huge win, program-defining kind of win, given what their program has been through the last couple of years. George Stoy the Third of Sooner Scoop from the On Three Network joined us to talk about where the Sooners go from here. Now that they have proven they can play with the best in their league.
2: Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Root. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We'll
1: be joined now by George Story third, Soonerscoop.com. George has made his way back from Dallas. Oklahoma victorious in the Red River rivalry and I'm curious George you saw Baker Mayfield on the field after the game what did he think of Dylan Gabriel
2: he said he was gutsy um you know and and it's so interesting hearing that from Baker right we saw that throughout his career at Oklahoma he was a guy that always came up in the clutch moments those 3 seasons that he was the quarterback for OU you think back to his OU Texas game in 2017 the game winning touchdown pass to Mark Andrews so for him to be like man he had he had some guts uh that final drive i think he said you know to see the poise the calm the collectedness of him to go down in that environment um when the stadium was as loud as it could be was truly something special so uh it was awesome to catch up with baker the, the video of baker uh in the end zone he was right there where nick anderson caught the game winner and he's losing his mind so it was really cool you know baker actually spoke to Dylan. He called him the night before the game and said, Hey, do whatever it takes to win this game. Obviously Dylan went out and played, you know, arguably the best game of his career in terms of given the situation and everything that went into it. So, uh, awesome to hear here's here Baker Baker's perspective, uh, on Dylan.
1: What was the mood like in the stadium when Oklahoma came out for that last drive? Texas has just kicked a field goal. It feels like Texas has the momentum at that point, but it didn't look like anybody on Oklahoma's sideline was phased on the TV, but how did it look in person?
2: Yeah, I, I think that you're right on the sideline. I think that the the players definitely thought they had a chance to go down and at least kick a field goal and send the thing to overtime. But I would say among the fans and even the media, it was like, man, they played such a good football game. It just slipped away in the fourth quarter. You know, Texas, I thought, played really well. I mean, I, I was really impressed by Texas on Saturday, but it felt like, man, this is just going to be a really tough, heartbreaking loss for Oklahoma because at that point, Oklahoma hadn't been able to move the ball very well. And Dylan hasn't hadn't been able to connect with his receivers down the field really since early in the third quarter on that touchdown drive right out of the half. So I think a lot of people thought, man, it's going to be really tough. You know, Zach Schmidt had just, you know, missed a 45 yarder, which in which he was not even close. I mean, he wasn't even close on the length. It was short. Uh, so I think there was not a lot of faith. That they were going to be able to move the ball, but then all of a sudden you get two chunk plays, you're you're across the fifty, then you get the big one where Dylan steps up, scrambles a bit, and finds Drake Stoops, and all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, they can they could win this thing right here. You get the pi call uh, that puts the ball at the six, and then you know Dylan finds Nick Anderson. I mean, it just like that. It was uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was something that um, you know it's cliche to say, but it's you know I think it was Andrew Rame, the starting center, that said, hey, it's like something out of a movie. Uh, yeah, and it really was, cool. I mean, it was, it was incredible.
1: Well, you think about that, that throw to Stoops that set up the touchdown pass, like that's reaching across eras of OU football. Essentially you've got mm-hmm. the, the, the transfer who came in like the day Caleb Williams left Jeff Levy called Dylan Gabriel, who was about to start class at UCLA throwing to the nine millionth year senior son of Bob Stoops.
2: I, 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 all I could think about too, during that play is man, Texas fans have got to be tired of the last name Stoops, right? I mean, he's oh. just been a killer. You think back to even the comeback game, he was big in that game. I think he caught a two point conversion to tie the game in 2021 in 2020. He caught the game winning touchdown pass in the four overtime game. So I it's, it's been a remarkable stretch for Drake Stoops, but you're right. I mean, and I think it was also Annie, just a culmination of what Brent has built. I mean, you had guys, that were returning players that played in that game a year ago knew what it felt like to lose 49 to zero and then you had a bunch of newcomers uh that were making big plays that didn't play in that game have never been in that environment even dylan gabriel i mean he didn't play obviously in the game a year ago for him to his first time in that sort of environment play the way he did uh it was just a really truly special performance
1: What did at 49 med ball sit-ups yeah for all those yeah. workouts To because of forty nine to nothing, Jerry Schmidt reminding them pretty much every day of what happened last year. But for Brent Venables, this has to be vindication in terms of he is the right guy to coach this program. Because I, I was one of the people who after that game last year was like, okay, I get he's a first year head coach, but how do you not have a backup quarterback ready? You know, are you sure this uh, this job isn't too big? And now you look at it and you say, okay, yeah, no, he's got it.
2: And he, you know, after the game on Saturday, he talked about the game last year and said it was a complete embarrassment and his hands were all over it. Um, You know, and this year, I think the word he used was proud. And I think you look at what he's done. I think he did a lot of self-reflection, Andy. You look at the guys that they went and got in the portal. I mean, they didn't have those type of players. You look at the players they recruited, the game management. I thought the game management, that's something here in Norman that was very critical of Brent. A year ago, he wasn't calling timeouts when he was supposed to. He wasn't handling the end of games in which they played a lot of close games a year ago. He wasn't handling those situations right. He handled all that stuff the right way on Saturday. And I think that that was part of the validation of hey, OU does have the right guy. And look what he's been able to do in just one year, flipping this roster upside down. And also, developing the guys that did stick with the program and you can tell Andy there's just buy-in from this group and I think we've always known that it's just can they get the results on the field that has been the question is everybody says the right things in this program it was but can they win the big one can they take the next step and they did on Saturday
1: when you came on last week you were talking about the talent upgrades that Oklahoma had made on the defense let's talk specifically about the defensive line because that group was outstanding on Saturday they were all over Quinn Ewers. and you know if you'd said going into the game who's going to have more sacks the Texas D line or the Oklahoma D line I think most people even including Oklahoma fans would have said yeah probably gonna be the Texas D line that was not the case at all
2: no and and it was guys like Dejon Terry who they get from Tennessee who you know that was maybe their biggest get in the portal in terms of a guy that played you know from Tennessee uh, played in the SEC, is it was very productive there. All of a sudden, you know, we hadn't seen a whole lot of him in the first five games. At least he wasn't super productive. He gets a big sack in the game, right? I mean, he he had a huge game, uh, was a monster in the run game as well. Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame, who they didn't even know if he was going to play this season because he had blood clot, blood clots before the season. He comes in and gets the big sack down there right before the field goal. And if he doesn't get that sack, Texas might just run out the clock uh, and, and be able to kick a field goal with no time left. So you're talking about guys up front that are making plays that weren't on this team. P.J. uh at the end, the Hail Mary, he's in there. He's the one that gets the pressure on Quinn Ewers and maybe makes him throw it a little earlier than he wanted to. And so again, you're just, there's guys that are making plays that weren't on this team. And then even a guy like Ethan Downs, another guy that stuck with the program, had a really tough year last year. I mean, he was somebody that faced a lot of criticism from the fan base. He comes up with two massive sacks in the game. He's been arguably their best defensive end this entire season. So uh, that defensive line has been really good so far through, through six games. Uh, And I think there's a lot of hope that they can, they can get even better.
1: Well, and the, the goal line stand I think was another really key moment in that game where Texas had four cracks at it from the one yard line. They bring in their defensive linemen to be fullbacks, and they get stuffed multiple times. I, I doubt Oklahoma fans were watching the USC game when they <laughs> didn't finish off their goal line. And say, "No, USC did still win. But they did have a goal line situation where they did stop them three times, but did not stop them a fourth time. I think back to those days, right after Lincoln Riley left, how are Oklahoma fans feeling right now? Because that's the thing that that they've been dealing with psychologically is this guy left but we think we're an elite program and one of the, the country's best why would you leave for somebody else when you're already somewhere elite does what happened yesterday kind of validate those
2: feelings i think they feel vindicated for sure i mean i think that last year was so tough on them you you, you think back to the national media and the national narrative you know was brent venables a bad hire uh, and I think there's a lot of fans wondering that too and and there wasn't an identity for this football team right I mean when you hire a guy like Brent Venables you're supposed to be built on defense and they weren't a year ago they were really bad on defense and in fact they were worse in a lot of areas than they were under Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley so uh, I think that the vindication is what they feel right now and they have an identity and Oklahoma for a long time has been built on great defense going back to the 70s with Sel- the Selman Brothers the 80s with the Boz, you know, early 2000s, Rocky Kalmus Teddy Lehman, the great linebackers that played for Brent Venables uh, before he left for Clemson. So to have that identity back where you can have a goal line stand and there's a lot of people that felt like they could make those plays is something that Oklahoma hasn't seen in over a decade. And so uh, I think that that's where Oklahoma fans feel really good about this thing moving forward is, hey, we're built on a great defense. And they're scoring like, look, is this as good as the Lincoln Riley offenses? No, but it's still a top ten offense in the country. They can put up a lot of points uh, and they've got a lot of weapons. And so I think people are feeling really good about the direction. And again, the, the buy in of the program and the way this thing is being built. It just it just got accelerated a lot uh, over the weekend, Andy.
1: Well, and one thing that impressed me about the offense was you know, go back to the Cincinnati game. It didn't feel like they could finish drives in that game. They did that when they had to against Texas, which it's a tougher opponent. It's it's better players, yet they rose to the occasion, and I think that that was a pretty critical moment. But Dylan Gabriel using his legs as effectively as he did really felt like it opened things up because some of those times where guys were covered and and somebody else is getting sacked, he's turning those into positive plays. It, it feels like that becomes its own kind of cheat code
2: they were six for six in the red zone on Saturday and a large part of that was Dylan being able to make some plays with his legs I mean you even think back to the first touchdown I think they ran maybe five QB draws the first one of the game goes for a 10-yard touchdown run Dylan was really effective uh in that area and even getting out of the pocket and making some throws down the field so you know I think it's something that we're going to continue to see moving forward with Dylan obviously last year they weren't able to do those things because they knew if Dylan went down, they had nobody. Uh, and so this year, if Dylan goes down, obviously you have five star Jackson Arnold, and and I'm sure that they don't want to play him just yet, but you would feel comfortable with him coming into the game, given his talent. But yeah, I mean, Dylan's a guy that, you know, he was recruited originally by army. I mean, he was supposed to be an option quarterback coming yeah. out of high school. Uh, so this is a guy that can definitely run. Is he going to beat you in an, you know, an 80 yard dash down the field? Probably not like Caleb Williams, but he is a guy that can accelerate. He sees the field really well in terms of things opening up and when to take off. Uh, and it feels like they kind of, Andy, waited till the Texas game to really unleash that. It was almost like uh, it was a whole part of the game plan coming in. I mean, they did some other stuff too, some direct snaps to Jalil Farouk, who's been a big-time mm-hmm. playmaker for him. So Jeff Le- Jeff Lebby really uh, unleashed the clip on Saturday and, and kind of pulled everything out of his bag. And I thought he called... A really really good game and and he had a great game plan in terms of letting gabriel use his legs
1: so i realize the team is going to be thinking about west virginia and kansas and tcu and the team the the teams they still have to beat how hard is it for everybody else to not look ahead to seeing texas again because you know this is it's interesting because like washington and oregon are playing this weekend, in a game where they might be the two best teams in their conference, but it feels like the loser might not get back to that conference championship game in the Big 12. It still feels like Texas has a very, very good chance of seeing Oklahoma and Jerry World.
2: It was a big topic of discussion for us after the game. It was already what do you think the line would be if they played next Saturday? Uh, you know, I still think Texas might be favored if they played again. It might be a, obviously a closer line, uh, maybe a pick game, but. I think that's already on the minds of a lot of people here. I mean, it was clear to me; those were two really good football teams. I thought Texas played really well. Quinn Ewers was really good. Other than the two interceptions early in the game, you know, he finishes what thirty-one of thirty-seven yeah. over three hundred, you know, yards. He was really solid in that game. I think Texas has a lot of playmakers. I think their defense had somewhat of a bad day, uh, but I, I think these are very clearly the two best teams. You look at the Big Twelve right now, and it seems like there's just a lot of six and six, seven and five. Type teams. And one of those teams can sneak up and beat you and surprise you one weekend. But if Oklahoma takes care of business, I think everyone, you know, and that's the thing about Sarkeesian after the game. I thought that the way that they handled that press conference, they are already looking forward. Uh, they weren't sulking in the loss, it felt like and I think that they're gonna get back on track too. So it does feel like a collision course, which is only it's only right, right, Andy. Yeah. Last year in yeah. Big 12, Brett Yormark has to give one of those teams. Uh, the Big 12 Championship Trophy. I mean, it would just be gold. So uh, I just think let Greg Sankey might, hand it to one of them. I who knows he might show up to the game. I mean, he was at the game on Saturday. I think he ended up leaving at halftime to head down to College Station for the uh, Texas A&M Alabama game. But um, yeah, he was there. And, and again, it's just it's very fitting that the uh, the last year it does look like it's going to be a collision course between Oklahoma and Texas. Round one done. Round two on
1: the way. George Sawyer the third. Thank you so much
2: yeah, thanks for having me, Andy.
1: Happy, happy days in Norman. We're gonna have happy, hateful days coming up in Eugene and Seattle as Oregon and Washington get ready for that game. We'll have Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck on the show tomorrow to talk about the ducks as they get ready for the huskies. Uh, one more note on George. I got a good question here from Matt. Yes, Andy, have Kirby and Mike Bobo turned the corner on realizing finally, that this year's Georgia team needs to throw to win. Throw the damn ball, Bobo? Question mark? I think you may be right. I think you may be right. Carson Beck came out throwing daggers right out of the gate against Kentucky. It reminded me of the spring game, to be perfectly honest. And it was the first time we've seen them be that aggressive right off the bat. And I think that does make them slightly more dangerous offensively where they're not trying to establish the run and be conservative. That may not be this offense's personality. Kirby Smart's personality, though, not changing much. He got asked, well, he was talking about the team as a wrecking ball. And he got asked about the Miley Cyrus song, Wrecking Ball. It went about how you would imagine.
0: I don't know who Miley Cyrus is. Like, what is it? What does she have to do with the wrecking ball?
2: Huh?
0: I know Eric Church wrecking ball.
1: Okay, so Miley Cyrus wrecking ball is a banger. How Kirby does not know that song? I I get how he doesn't know Miley Cyrus. I would really have enjoyed the after the the press conference conversation where somebody explains that Miley Cyrus is the daughter of Billy Ray Cyrus and somewhere deep in Kirby's memory banks, Billy Ray Cyrus's mullet pops up because Kirby was in high school when "Achy Breaky Heart came out or maybe even middle school. He remembers that song. They played that song in Bainbridge, Georgia. I do not doubt for a second. And, and you could explain to him that this man with this mullet, his offspring did a song called Wrecking Ball. And it was pretty good. You should listen to it. Or, Kirby Smart is already trying to figure out how next to Boa Constrictor an opponent, or maybe, as Matt suggested, he's figuring out how to say, throw the damn ball, Bobo. <laughs> just feel it doesn't roll off the tongue like run the damn ball. It just doesn't. All right, guys, it's Sunday. That means tomorrow's Monday. That means this is Dear Andy show. So you know how to find me. I'm not hard to find. You can ask your questions on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples, Instagram, Andy underscore Staples. You can email them to me, Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. We love it when you shoot video of yourself asking the question. So you can be the star of the show because on a Dear Andy show, you really are the stars. And I do appreciate all of those great questions I get every week. You guys are very smart You're very fun college football fans who challenge me to think very hard with a lot of these questions, and I thank you for that because you make it a better show. So get those questions to me, Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples on Instagram, Andy Staples on three at gmail.com if you would like to email it to me. We will talk to you again on Monday night.